the glory in our stories. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Raven Harper. Good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to episode 45 of The Glory in Our Stories. Uh, today I'm speaking with Raven Harper. Um, I always start out each episode by basically explaining um, what intrigued me about the person that I'm interviewing. One thing that I enjoy is the randomness of meeting people because you never know the details of their life and how they may overlap with yours, or you think that you've lived your life a specific way, only to find out that people have probably lived something similar, but they have a different viewpoint. Right. And one thing that really intrigues me, simply based on the fact that I've grown up with women, is women empowerment, and finding that value in yourself, despite what you've gone through, but it always intrigues me about where you were versus where you are. And that time in between is very important because when you see somebody where they are, like, man, I wish I could be in their position. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't think you understood what it took for me to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was scrolling through Facebook and I came across your um, one of your posts and it had a picture of you, I think it was a mugshot, and then it had a picture of you, uh, I think it was at a fair or an event, but judging from the photo it looked like two different people and when I messaged you you said I I would love to get my story out and I'm just I got intrigued by that so seeing that and it's always like the first interaction that I have with people maybe face to face but it's always like those first two five minutes you get a glimpse of who they are and somehow they throw a piece of their history you you don't mean to do it intentionally but it's there but you can tell you've been somewhere right and I'm automatically want to ask where where was that and how how did you get through that yeah you know so but um I really appreciate your time thank you I appreciate it and um being open to tell your story because a lot of people aren't quick to be as candid Mm -hmm. they still want to wrap that up and say I want to keep that to myself right um, but I've personally learned that the more you sit on something, the more you're depriving somebody else of receiving some form of of joy and peace in their life. Mm-hmm. And maybe your life may be the answer to a, a lifelong question. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I wanted to go ahead and start out by asking you: Were you were you born here in Augusta? Were you raised? I was born um, originally in MCG. Mm-hmm. And then I was raised in Thompson, Georgia, so right down the street. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, what? You, well, if you don't mind me asking, what year did you graduate? Two thousand eight. Really? Yeah, and I actually attended Augusta State um, when I came uh, down here as a reservist in mm-hmm. the military. So I read a little bit of your bio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I came out in eight. Wow. So you came out four years after I did. Yeah. And that was um, that was oh four, and I came. I started at a Augusta University when it was ASU then mm-hmm. in 2007. So mm-hmm. when did you attend? Um, I came down probably in 2012. Mm-hmm. That's when I came down as a reservist at that time. Yeah. That's when I started going to school here. So how long have you been in the military? It was six years. Six years. Mm-hmm. What, From what, 2006 to 2012. Because when I became a reservist, they laid us off. Mm-hmm. So they shut down my whole unit. So I had to just start back from scratch, really, at that time. But I joined while I was in high school. Which branch? Army. Army? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So did you, were you interested in the Army during your high school um, years, or was this um, something that Not really. Um, but what initially happened was I had a scholarship for track. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that I was pregnant at 15. Yeah. So I had to make a decision, you know, whether I should go ahead, take this scholarship, leave my child, don't know exactly what's going to happen, you know, if I were to leave her, mm-hmm. or should I just go ahead and start a career so I can make sure that she's secure. So yeah. I decided to join the military. So this was a more of a 
a decision you had to make based off circumstances. It right. Wasn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. What you had to do was better. What was, what was best for your developing family? Right. Exactly. Um, so going back to uh, so you grew up in Thompson, mm-hmm. right? You were because um, I remember I remember going to middle school. I remember. It's weird, like high school was a blur for me. Really? Yeah, because I, I was, that was the most difficult phase for me because I came out of middle school and I was a class clown. Mm. So at that point, my mom had a conversation with me and I just shut down completely and I didn't interact with people. Mm. So what was your high school experience? Um, I had a lot of friends because mm-hmm. uh, I did sports. I played yeah. sports, so... Um, I thought maybe those friends would kind of go away once I had my first daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was young, everybody wasn't on that. Yeah. Um, everybody was show. The Thompson was strict as mm-hmm. far as you know what you can do when you have a baby in high school, what you can't do. Yeah. So um, I interacted with a lot of people, but a lot of my friends did not know what was going on in my household because I kind of put this different persona on just mm-hmm. so that I could make it throughout the day. Yeah. But when I get home, it's a whole different situation. Mm-hmm. You know, never, nobody, nobody ever thought that me growing up, they thought I wouldn't have a baby at 15. I wouldn't get pregnant. Um, they thought that, you know, I was basically born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I guess because how we carried ourselves. Yeah. My mom worked three jobs. She was a single parent. So anything we really wanted, you know, we got it. But she wasn't there. So yeah. that was a, a major thing that I wanted as a female. I was the only female in the household. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted. But my my school days, I mean, I had a great time. Like, I can't, I really can't complain when I was at school. Yeah. But outside of that, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so you say you're the only girl. How many, so you have older brothers or which? Yes, I have two older brothers mm-hmm. um, that stayed in the house with me. Um, and I have an older brother that actually is on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am the youngest on both sides oh, and wow. the only girl. <laughs> so it was a lot of, my mom had to get used to it. Not yeah. me getting used to it, my mom did. <laughs> um, but it was, we were uh, close though. I could say that me and my brothers, we were very close. Um, it didn't start to separate until we saw my mom kind of change mm-hmm. a little bit that's when things started to separate in the household yeah. like we all went our different ways I, of course I stayed because mm-hmm. I was the youngest but when my other two brothers had the chance to up and leave they left as soon as they could they left yeah. so it's a lot of things that a lot of people don't know about me because I had that oh well you can hide it just hide it the, clo- the closet is not going to burst out just mm-hmm. hide it carry on about your day you still got to carry on about your day so there's no need to carry that on your shoulder. Yeah. So, and that's how I grew up too. Mm-hmm. I grew up like that. Whatever goes on in the household, stay in the household. Yeah. And you just go out with your day, you know, outside of the household. So, it was challenging. How, <laughs> it was very. So, how was life? Now, I tell people all the time, being the youngest, it's just like I heard a um a comic because he's the oldest out of his family, and mm-hmm. he was saying that things that we say as the youngest really doesn't matter because they paved the way for us so for us to have the luxury to um, be loved or get anything else like we the ones that would open that door for you you know we were the prototype mm. of the family you know our, our parents you got the parent that you got at your age because of us right you know the older older siblings and um i wonder what what was your experience not only being the youngest but also being the only girl well, one thing I can say, I can agree upon what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Normally, like back then, I would say, no, that's not true. Yeah. But I can really agree on that with how me and my mom relationship is. Mm-hmm. So before, when I was younger, my, and my mom, she really didn't tell me this until afterwards, but um, after I got grown. Mm-hmm. But she explained to me that, well, she really just showed me that she really didn't have didn't know how to build a relationship with a daughter. Yeah. I don't think she knew um, what it took to raise, you know, a daughter versus raising a son. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's opposite. It it's two totally different things. And that's yeah. what a lot of people don't understand. So when she had my brother, him being the oldest, you know, she was in high school as well. Mm-hmm. 
You know, oh, wow. she was staying in um, her mom's house. So it's a, it's a lot of similarities with how I start off with my firstborn and how she started off with hers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can say that he kind of paved the way only in the sense of she had to learn how to love me. You know, she had to learn how to interact with me. She mm-hmm. had to learn how to do these things. And she had to understand that it's totally different from you loving my brother to you loving me because I want more attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the female of the household, so I feel like I deserve more attention. Yeah. Um, but that was something that we all didn't get. So I can say that um, the whole idea of my brother paving the way for just the way that my mom loves me, I can definitely, I I do agree with that. I really do. She she became a better woman over time. Yeah. Um, so I, at this moment, at this point in time, I can't fault my mom for what she was trying to do at those days. I used to, mm-hmm. but I now I can't. Now seeing that my journey that I went through, I can't I can't find anything wrong with it. Yeah. Like, period. We don't have a, a manual to read when we have kids and mm-hmm. it don't say this is how you're supposed to love your child, the difference between loving a daughter and the difference between loving a son. I mean it you all have to learn that. Yeah. So it was all a learning experience. So yeah, I mean, yeah. He definitely paved the way for her to love me. It's funny you said that um, about having a, an actual book, a manual. My aunt told me that uh, back in 2004. I came to visit her, and she was just talking randomly. And my aunt has, she had six kids. Mm. And she said, there's no specific rule book on how to raise a child. And I never really thought about that because you go anywhere, and you can even here, you can find books that tell you, like, this is what to expect when your mm-hmm. child does this and does that. Um, but if they were going to actually create a book for a child, they'd have to create billions of them. <laughs> exactly. Because we're all wired differently. Right. And by the time my mom was teaching me like how to drive and all that other stuff, my sisters were like, that's not the mom that we had. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, would exactly. T- we would learn it. Because when she got with me, she was a lot more patient, uh, a lot more um, forgiving of grace and mercy, and I would do something, and she'd okay. But with, with them, it was completely different. Um, but thinking back on like, because my oldest, I have two older sisters, mm. and it's like, in all, it's it's a lot of us due to my my dad's side. But being the youngest, people would say, "Oh, you you spoiled." But in my mind, I'm thinking, "Oh, you, I got a lot of stuff," and that's not the type of life that we that we had. Yeah. But as far as attention and being having somebody more involved in the details of your life that's how mom was probably with me because i was the youngest Mm -hmm. but back then i didn't see that but now looking back i'm like you know what i probably was Mm -hmm. yeah i feel that way too um (laughs) i'm gonna be honest I, i i'm spoiled in a sense um because my mom, she like I said, she was always there for us when we the things that we wanted, we always got. Mm-hmm. But you would never have a child to ask you, "Mom, I want attention." Yeah. Or, "Mom, I want love." Or, you know, you just a child doesn't grow up asking, you know, anybody that period. Mm-hmm. So, how I saw my mom, I, I thought, okay, she's a hardworking woman. She works three jobs. She's a single parent. You know, she's doing all these things. She's wearing these different hats. But I get to see her you know so that kind of took a toll because it's kind of like everything that you're teaching me like I I hear it coming out your mouth but it's not really embedded into my heart or my mind because you're not here every day you know I I really saw my mom um with her working she would even work doubles triples she was a CNA Mm-hmm. So that that's a time where you know they really didn't care if you had holidays off. I mean, you worked every day. Wow. So she literally worked every day, every day. Like I don't remember my mom never working ever. Mm-hmm. So as far as what about um, so uh, cool uh, having an educator as a mom, I realized one of the privileges was when we're off, she's off. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was just normal, mm-hmm. you know. For us to go somewhere and then oh mom's able to take us that's just how it is mm-hmm. but because she was a teacher you know her schedule aligned with ours but with other parents like my aunt used to work uh, night shifts mm-hmm. so when my cousins would get out of school in a few hours she's about to go to work 
So uh, when she comes in, they're about to go to school. Like right. that was just the okay. rotation. So and question, I got a question for you. Yes. So when you were sick, did your mom, seeing that she was a school teacher, did she ever have the time to take off for you and, you know, just take care of you at that time? That was, that, ooh, that's a good question. Because that was difficult for her because at one point I went to the same school she taught at. Mm. So if I did get sick, basically they sent me to her room. Mm. So I had to stay there and just tend because if it, if I was sick, nine times out of ten had to do with asthma. Yeah. So she had breathing treatments. So I take the treatment. I just sit like in the back of her classroom where students can't see or see me, and she would tend to me then. But that was beneficial because I just so happened to be there. Right. But fortunately, we rarely got sick, and we knew. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but if we did, going home was. Not an option. Not really, because yeah. we she worked fifteen to twenty minutes outside of where we lived, so commuting mm. back and forth. That no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause see, my mom, she we would get sick, but it's mm-hmm. really times that we would be out of school too. <laughs> the only time I remember me being out of school was when I had the severe case of chickenpox, and yeah. it was just weird because I thought she. She came to school. She got me. It was picture day, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> she came to school. She got me, but she couldn't stay. Mm. So here I was, what, maybe I was in second grade. So I was at home by myself, you know, just doing what she asked me to do, doing what she taught me to do. I basically had to take care of myself and get myself out of sickness. Yeah. So um, it was very different. So I barely, I barely even wanted to be sick. If anything, I wanted to go to school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was totally different. And I feel like, excuse me, I feel like that's the reason why, you know, I do want to share my story just because a lot of people think that you can't open up a Steve Harvey book or just any book in general off the shelf and just think that it's going to specifically say this is what you're going to go through. This mm-hmm. is how you're going to overcome it. For your specific body, it's, yeah. it's to me. I feel like this it's not gonna happen. You can read books on, you know, oh, just yes. taking pointers and just getting enlightened by something. And some things might, you know, you can relate to, but it's not gonna specifically be like, okay, well, look, when you go through this, this is what you need to do. Yeah. It's just like me saying, okay, if you go through something, just pray about it. That may not just work for you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe your faith isn't as strong as mine. I can't. I can't tell you, you know, to do something and then it just so happened the next day. It's a miracle. You're good. Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't work that way. And that's one thing I learned from my mom is the intensity in her faith. It's scary. It's scary at times because back then, growing up, the life that you live, at one point you think is normal. That's the way it's supposed to be. This is typical. Until you enter somebody else's house, you're like, oh, they got this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's both parents here. Wow. Never thought that I would witness this dynamic. And you can see the difference. And with mom, she did the best that she could. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's funny you said that. Because when you look at someone who who is a believer, and you're like, you know what? I believe in God, but why, why is it that it looks like they have more faith than I do and it's like that's not necessarily true it's just that their walk is different right and if you were in their shoes trust me you will be there right but you're not you have to take your own journey and in the midst of you saying that first person I thought of was Cardi B one of of the things I admire by her is that she's going to be who she is regardless of where she is what talk show she's on I I, I saw on Jimmy Fallon and she was just being herself Mm -hmm. And um, the, the the lines that we draw for our life from one end to the other, there was a um, post on Facebook. It had three different lines. It had a straight line, which was A. Uh, the B was a jagged line. Mm-hmm. And three was just like a bowl of spaghetti from point A to point B. And most of us are looking at A. And it's like, you know what? I settle for B, mm-hmm. but technically our life is more like C. You, know, right. you don't know where it's going, and you can't really predict it. Um, so at post-high uh, school, you had went to the service. Mm-hmm. And how was that for you, that transition? Because you had already had your daughter. Yeah. Right then. Um, the transition was, 
it was different. Only because, um, of course, I miss my baby. I'm yeah. going to be honest. Me being young, I didn't even want to be a parent. Yeah. It had to grow on me. Um, it didn't grow on me until she was probably like four. And at mm-hmm. that time, I had my second daughter by that time. Yeah. Um, but it was a major, I can tell you that it was just, it was not comfortable. Um, I would be somewhere. I'm in a different location. At this time, I was stationed in Fort Sam. And um, my mom was with a guy that she was married to before, but they ended up divorcing and getting mad together. But um, he he basically used to um, he used to pimp me out when I was younger to older guys. And so with my mom, I told her I was like, look, you know, if I go into the military, you know, he's gonna have to go. You know, there's just no way he can be around my daughter. So, um, he stayed around for a while after that, so I was still kind of uncomfortable, kind of waiting to get home, anticipating to get home. And um, when I got home, eventually, he wasn't there, but she had already um, got engaged to someone else. Now, mind you, this is all a blur to me because I don't, you know, really... I didn't know what was going on. I'm not home. You know, the only thing I know about is my daughter. I speak to her godmama every now and then to see how she's doing. I speak mm-hmm. to my mom, but my mom is not going to really tell me something that I don't want to hear. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I really didn't want to hear the fact that she had moved on, got engaged with somebody else, because I really wanted her to take that, that space for her, because mm-hmm. we never really had it. Um, the, same, the same husband that she had at the time, he was abusive, just not towards just her, but towards the whole family in general. Yeah. He really didn't want us to build a relationship with her. So I had no idea what, you know, my daughter was going through while she was here. And she was young, so I'm pretty sure she wasn't, she wasn't going to be able to tell me exactly what she was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a hard transition because, especially when I came home and I found out I was pregnant with my second daughter. Mm-hmm. Um I ended up becoming a reservist because I, back then, you know, you really couldn't stay if you found if you were pregnant, I um, mean, you wasn't married. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was basically the military. Normally, they'll just kick you out. Yeah. You know, back then, but now, um, it's different. Things have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but he offered me to go down as a reservist because we were deploying soon. So I said, okay, that's fine. I can do that. And then um, I moved here in Augusta. Because I still stayed in Thompson when I when I got out of active duty. So I moved here in Augusta to follow my reserve unit. Um, so this time, I really had to be a single parent because I'm no longer living with my mom. And I'm no longer living with her and taking care of a, a younger daughter. So yeah. now all of us have to go to this different spot. We I have to be a parent. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I was so confused. But it was... The post high school was, I could say, a major learning lesson for me because when I tell you that I got out there and started, you know, having to pay my own bills, mm-hmm. having to take care of my kids, can't go out and hang with my friends, like that was something that I did not know anything about yeah. <laughs> at all. Because when you're in the military, you're young, you want to spend money, you want to go have fun, you want to do all this stuff, but I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So it was. A major like difficult transition for me um, but I the good thing that came out of it was the fact that you know I did have a family that I came home to you know I did yeah. have a healthy daughter that I came home to my mom she she's still you know up and running so that's good mm-hmm. um, the guy's gone which is the nightmare yeah. he's gone um, so it was it was good to see everybody yeah. but when life hits you like it just I feel like it didn't really hit me until after I got out of high school Besides all the stuff that I've been through while I was in high school and I was in that household in Thompson, even though that was a lot, I just feel like I learned a lot from after I got out of high school and really had to tackle on life, mm-hmm. you know, by myself, yeah. in a sense. So that I can say, um, I've learned a lot here in Augusta. Even though it's 30 miles away from Thompson, it does make it's a, a major though. difference. It makes a huge difference. It's a major difference. But um, I've learned a lot here. A lot. Mm-hmm. And I plan on building my foundation here. Yeah. Yeah. And being on your own, I realize 
that's what happens, especially when you grow up in a small town. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's nothing knocking against Thompson. I mean, uh, it made me into who I am being there. And um, but there being, I would say this, being black and presenting yourself a certain way around other, I guess, the standard black culture, you stand out when you say when you present yourself in a way that it's I want to say proper or it's, it's hard to because this is a problem that me and my sisters had to face mm. because we said yes ma'am no ma'am yes right. sir right I see what you're saying and we were my we were red I, I didn't read that much but my sisters were real red I was into other things like I'm, I'm a writer so that's mm-hmm. that was that was my heart that's why I fed my life into and it just didn't click with all the other guys that I was saying I didn't play I, I enjoyed basketball um, but I was I, I played baseball when I was younger and when I got around other guys and we had conversations it's a lot that I couldn't relate to mm-hmm. and so I was labeled as the other mm-hmm. so growing up in Thompson with that mentality saying if I can't be this I need to go somewhere where I can be myself mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I came here and I got involved into the poetry scene and then I was like I had no idea that there were other people that thought like me right but you, you, you don't get that a lot in a small town you don't so and still to this day you don't no you don't I don't see where we have um, poetry nights you know I don't see in a small area where um, like I don't I don't see where it's even you know what jazz just have a jazz band to come out every now and then. It's yeah. like we're so boxed in that mm-hmm. it's just crazy. And a lot of people who know that I'm from Thompson, they feel like, oh, you're from Thompson. That's nothing. You know, yeah, it's a small town, but it packs a lot of power because yeah. there's a lot of stuff that happens in small towns mm-hmm. that kind of gets swept up under the rug. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, that's how I felt like my life was. Yeah. I felt like, you know, here I am. I put on this different persona, but... When I get home, I'm a whole different person. Cause I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna be, I didn't wanna be joked about. Period. Mm-hmm. I felt like if somebody joked about me in high school, that I was, I would automatically go into defensive mode. Yeah. Because I had a lot of stuff going on at home, mm-hmm. and here I am trying to put my best foot forward, and you still have something to say. Yeah. Like that. That was my main thing. Um. I was, right, if you yeah, want to say that I was a geek, you could say I was a geek. I mean, I was in all AP classes. Mm-hmm. Out of all the things that I, you know, went through in my household, I still, I was in the band. I played the oboe and the clarinet. I ran track. I'm taking care of a daughter. So I kind of wore a lot of hats, yeah. you know what I mean? And it was a lot for me to, to tackle on, but I yet and still I did it. I think it was because I really had somewhat of a clear mind then. Mm-hmm. I had a way to escape, basically. Yeah. Um, so I never, I never looked at you, you know, loving the right. I never looked at you different. I might want to come and talk to you about some things. You know what I mean? I might want to learn some things from you. I might want to know, you know, exactly how am I conveying this story? Am I, am I understanding it correctly? You know, and uh, how do I start from letter A and go down to Z? Like I, I might can get that from you. Yeah. So I, and I never really judged people. I, I never did that in my whole entire life. I, I never judged at all so it didn't matter if you know you didn't have the same lifestyle as me mm-hmm. I feel like whatever it was that kind of brought us together mutually I felt like that's what I can go off of yeah and I can go off of only what you showed me but I never I never been that type of person that judged that's one thing my mama did teach me like mm-hmm. you can't you can't judge anybody who are you to judge yeah so that's why and even now um, the reason why I decided to write the post was because it was like you know people didn't know you know what I was going through a lot of people didn't really probably understand what I was going through Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're going through um, drug abuse and you're trying to overcome it it's one of those things where it says that you have to admit it to someone you know to another human being yeah you know so I can admit it I can talk to God all day which I do but Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be it wouldn't feel to me that it's being released if I don't say it to another being. Yeah. So that was my way of getting getting it across to other people was through social media. Mm-hmm. 
because if I if you really don't if you really don't see me out in public, you just see oh that's that's Raven. You know I don't know him for a long time. Then you know if you really see me in that area and you saw this post, then you will understand like okay, let me come back how she used to be back in the day. Yeah. Let me kind of go through all the middle years. Okay, now I get it. Now, now I see it, and now I have more respect for her because now she came out and she really admitted to it. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I really never questioned if somebody would judge me after I wrote that post because I really don't care. Yeah. You know, that's my testimony. That's my. That's my path. That's what my God has for me, and that's what I'm continue. I'm gonna continue to move forward with. Yeah. And that's. Uh Unfortunately, because of the history of so social media, what it does to people right. and their reputations, a lot of people would say that was a dangerous move. But I think danger nowadays represents bold and taking that step because by you posting that, somebody will see it and they're going to like, dang, not only did they not know, but they now know that they weren't alone experiencing it themselves. And when people do seeing you do that and posting it in such a broad audience on, a, on, a, on an audience that has a variety of people with different backgrounds that actually did more help than anything right and just seeing that and it just really the reason why, the reason why it really touched me is because for you to be vulnerable enough to say this is who I am that speaks to me because I just now over the last 10 years accepted my life in the way that it went about and I don't mind sharing my story. Right. Because it, if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be who I am. You wouldn't be who you are if you did not go through those things. And God specifically set things in order so that you can go through this tunnel only to go to the light that's on the other side. And I'll, a lot of people don't understand that. They think, oh, this is just um, happenstance. It just happened. No, no. It, was, it had to happen that way. It had to. Right. So in relation to um, the addiction phase, like how did that initiate for you? Oh, wow. Um, oof. I, well, I started smoking weed at probably 14. Mm -hmm. And um, drug wasn't really a major thing for me while I was in high school. Because like I said, I play sports and... I really didn't <laughs> want it to interfere. Yeah. One thing that really caught my attention with Raven is her candidness. She would say certain things that to the average person it will be um it will be a shock factor in there. You're like, how can you allow this to happen? How can this happen? How are you okay? Or how did you get through this? But Raven has gotten to that point in her life where she's ready to tell her story. And she said this is the first opportunity where she was able to do that. And I told her I was more than happy uh, to provide that that uh, platform. So, Raven, I, I just want to thank you for being straightforward, not just with yourself, but with us, you know, especially me. I really appreciate it. Keep listening. Episode 45 of The Glory in Our Stories with Raven Harper. Um, but um, my mom was a um, an addict. Mm -hmm. And in that stage, I really did, at that time, I really didn't know what was going on. It's just the way that she was moving was very different. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because the same drug of choice that she had is the same drug of choice that I was addicted to. Wow. I was addicted to cocaine. That yeah. was my main thing after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, it started just by, oh, well, you know, let me let me take this and everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. And then you come down off the high and then it's like 10, it has pounded up like, it's piled up like 10 times more than mm -hmm. what it was before. So there you go, you're using again. And it just, it's a reoccurring thing. It happens over and over and over again. And, um, I realized that um, what what made me started to do it more was um, me trying to put all this stuff that I that I went through in the closet and just trying to cover it up. So yeah, and still I'm still trying to act like how I was in high school, mm -hmm. you know. But now I'm grown, you know. Yeah. So now I have to interact more and I have to be around 
different people and I have to, you know, I have to be around my bosses and I have to be around my mom and I got to be around my kids and I got to be able to make sure that I maintain my life and just make sure that I put, just make sure that I just put on this persona that I'm a good mom, nobody can touch me. Not even my kids can see say that they've seen me cry or break down. So yeah. that that's what the type of person that I was. And drugs just made it a little bit. At that time, I felt like better. Yeah. But now, now way worse. <laughs> um, so what really happened? I was um, when I was 11, I was molested, mm-hmm. and when I was 16, I was raped by the same person. He was my stepbrother at the time, mm-hmm. and. Um, um, I came. I came here. Um, I work at T-Mobile now, so I started working there. And this girl, and it's been about a year. She came up to me and she said that she knew of me. Um, and I, you know, started to ask her like, how, you know, how do you know me? And come to find out, my rapist. She know. She knows my rapist. Um, and. To make a long story short, that kind of put me in a deeper hole. Because when, you know, she even said something about him, it's like all the light bulbs in my head just burst. And it just felt like I had to go and put myself in this same closet that I've hid all of this stuff in. And I'm just going to put myself in there and I'm just going to use drugs. That's all I really wanted to do. Because I never thought that this person that don't even know me, like she doesn't even know me. She's not even from Georgia. How would she come up to me and, you know, think to say something of that nature, but not even think what type of, I don't even think she knew what type of role that she played. And it was never a negative role. I feel like she was heaven sent. Because had she wouldn't have came to me, I wouldn't have been ready to say, okay, enough is enough. I wouldn't have had my, my breaking point. I wouldn't have had my rock bottom point. Because after that, I hit my rock bottom. I lost uh, two friends in one month, and that day, I remember that day I was sitting there. I didn't use or anything that day, Um, and my friends just kept, just the thought of them just kept coming to me and saying, you know, everything is going to be okay. You just have to want it for yourself, you know, and the thing that was most significant about these friends is that one, he was the guy who um, gave me the opportunity to have the job at T-Mobile. Um, and so he tried, like, a lot of times. He was always my reference. I went through two interviews. I didn't get it the first two times. And he was just always there consistently. Um, the girl, I've known her since we were kids. Um, and the, the the way that she was murdered, it, it just was a lot to me at the time. Yeah. Um, I saw my mom go through a, um, an abusive relationship. I've been through an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And she had gone through an abusive relationship, which didn't end well. Yeah. Um, it resulted to her dying. So all of that just was speaking in that one room to me. And, I, and as much as I wanted to say enough is enough, life has given everything that it can give to me, I'm done with it. As much as I wanted to say that, and, and react upon it, mm. I did it. I couldn't. It was something that was holding me back to say, you know, don't do this. You know, your life is not over yet. Like, make a phone call, do something. So, I ended up calling my mom. It's crazy because when I ended up calling her, the only thing that I told her to do was just come pick the kids up. Yeah. But instead, she was like, no, you know, you coming with me. Um, I'm not leaving here. You here by yourself, and we just gonna figure this out. And that's when I realized that at that moment that I had hit rock bottom in that one room that I had been sitting in for hours, no food, no anything, just me and my thoughts. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you'll understand, but I'm just going to put it like this. How I was raised, I was raised that um, in a church where we know that spirits are among us, you know, and it's very easy for those, if you have any type of fear or anything, any type of opening for that fear to come in, you know, or that that spirit, that negative spirit to come in, it's going to come. So here I am in this room, and it has to be full of spirits because I'm thinking whether or not I should let this be my last day Mm -hmm. or should I keep pushing on or should I go get me another sack? Like, it was like, 
all in one. And that was that was the darkest hole that I I ever thought that anybody could be in. Like that was the darkest hole ever. Yeah. I mean, I just lost two friends in the same month. That had to be a lot, you know. Just not, just I understand it. I understand this. I get that. But just the a thought of them leaving now in the way that they left to me, I felt like that spoke major volumes because I could have lost my life the same way, mm-hmm. you know, or that could have been me. So I really had to take into consideration what I wanted to do, and I admitted myself. I immediately admitted myself. Like the next day, I went in uh, to a uh, mental health clinic, and I admitted myself. And I said that I was ready. I was ready to overcome this. Yeah. I was ready to get my story out. Um, I was tired of allowing it to eat me inside. Because it was. Slowly but surely, I was dying every day. I was dying every day. I didn't know what to, I don't know. I didn't know what to say to people. I mean, because I thought maybe you're still whining about you being raped at 16 and you're 27. And that was the only thing that I thought. Like, you know, people may look at it like that. Like, okay, why is she still, why, why she didn't do anything back then? Yeah. You know, and that's the first question that people say. You know, why she didn't say anything back then? But that's it's not as easy as what people think. I mean, this was within family. Yeah. My mom didn't believe me. You know, his dad didn't believe me. He probably didn't believe me, but he knows what happened. Um, so it's not anything easy for you to just say, hey, mom, I've been raped. We need to uh, figure this out. It's embarrassing. It's, it's very embarrassing. Because I felt like at that moment that when that happened, when I hit rock bottom, I felt like the most embarrassing thing, just me sitting there, was a the thought of, okay, well, if I end my life early, that's going to be even more embarrassing. Because what they're going to do is come to my funeral, and the next day they're going to move on with their lives. Yeah. So I really need to figure out if this is what I want to do, is sit here and let all of this just bombard me and take over my life, or should I just go ahead and get my life together? Like live it and yeah. not allow life to live me like and that's when I went to the mental health clinic it was just it was a lot a lot of people thought well you don't even like the type that would be in there you know you don't even look like that but looking is totally different than feeling yeah. I felt like that was the place that I needed to be and I'm happy that I did it I'm happy that I took time out for myself to really understand myself more and to just build a better relationship with my children and my mom yeah. Because had I wouldn't have expressed or shared my story, my mom wouldn't have told me her story. I feel like that would have been something that was back in the day, and she really didn't want to explain it. But it's like it kind of got us closer. Yeah, it got us a whole lot closer. And this guy, her ex-husband, he's probably somewhere doing it to another child, but it's not within my family. So I feel like I conquered something in a sense. Yeah. Out of all of this, I feel like I did get us away from something that was gonna tear our family apart. Apart. Mm-hmm. But rock bottom. People think that rock bottom is bad. Rock bottom is not bad. Is what people make it seem. Mm-hmm. It's something that needs to happen during your path. Yeah. I mean, in order for you to understand anything that's going on in life and why it's happening to you. You have to understand that you, even if you don't do the right things, of course that same lesson is gonna keep coming to you, gonna keep coming to you, until you realize like, okay, what I'm doing is not the right thing, so let me try this another way. Yeah. So, and eventually those lessons, those same thing that you're going through on a day-to-day basis, it stops. Mm-hmm. So, it's rock bottom is not the worst thing in life. Sometimes it's great to hit rock bottom to understand, you know, where you come from. Cause that rock bottom, I've since then, and it's been, it's been over a year since I've been clean. Mm-hmm. So since then, well, it's like, thank you. It's kind of like I'm elevating. I've never seen me live this life before, and had I would have ended my life, I when I had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. But I think that it was best. It was best. It was what needed to be done, and I'm happy that I could finally say. It's time. Yeah. Not anyone else, that, but I said it. I said it's time for me to get help. Mm-hmm. 
and I push for it. And I really meant that. When I when I say that I mean that, not saying that the judge ordered me to do it, not saying that my mom made me do it, not saying that my kids even motivated me to do it. I was ready. Yeah. And when you are ready, you're gonna put you first so that way you can take care of others. So that rock bottom was all a positivity for me. Like that was the best thing that I felt like I could have ever been in that moment. And for my mom to just help me the way that she did even after that, when I made that phone call, that was the best thing ever. Like, that was the best thing. Because she could have been like, okay, all right, well, let me come get the kids and I'll be gone. But she didn't leave me there. And that was that was God said. I know a lot of people don't get to that point where they do make that decision. Um, I lost a friend that had a son. And she spoke about him a lot, about making plans to make sure she set him up for the best he could be mm -hmm. and very smart um, she was also a fellow writer funny thing was she minored in writing she was a beast mm. and I'm like if you minor in literature and you write like this I can only imagine because she was a science major mm. and I can only imagine what that looks like if right. this is what you do on the side exactly you know, you're so well. yeah and I was like man but when she decided that she didn't want to be here anymore I was like hey because I personally felt bad because I was friends with her but I didn't pay attention to the signs right. they were there in hindsight they were there but I didn't pay attention to them and I felt bad for a long time and then friends had to say man you can't you can't hold on to that because mm -hmm. she made this decision and sometimes I would think like I would assume that if anybody could encourage you to just stay here just a little bit longer it would be your son mm -hmm. um, but like you said it's it's a decision that you have to make for yourself mm -hmm. and not a lot of people get to that point a lot of people just cut off say you know what I'm done and for you to make that conscious decision for yourself and how that is a ripple effect that's going to affect everybody your kids your family and even people that you run into the fact that you said yes, that you said yes to life, living in a, in a time period where um, saying yes to life is probably the best decision, not just in reference to yourself, but to unborn children. Mm -hmm. um, you said something, you mentioned the concept of speaking about your experience, about what you went through, uh, being um, molested and going through the experience of being raped, uh, for lack of a better term. It's such a sharp um subject to um, discuss but it's it's something that we need to continue to have discussions about because the problem is the reason why a lot of you can't come forward is because you feel the way that you feel a lot of almost most of every one women woman that I've heard story about that they experienced I couldn't say anything back then and of course the most recent incident with the um, in the politics I forgot his name the woman that said she was raped when he was um, they were like 19 and she waited like 40 years oh yeah And cause, but the main question was like why now Right. why now but a lot of people didn't understand the psychological weight that she had to carry and probably still is and you can't put a time on that Yeah. you can't and put a timeline on that to be honest that's what a lot of women in the military are going through mm. you know still to this day now, you can imagine, probably in the 70s or 80s, think about what women and women of color, I just yeah. want to specify, mm -hmm. think about what they, what challenges they had to go through, you know, being overseas with random guys that they had to serve their country with. Mind you, a lot of women wasn't in the military back in the day. Not a, mm -hmm. not a lot of women of color in general. Yeah. So, they would say things like, you know, um, Say, for instance, if a, a soldier is raped, they, you know, the person, the guy or whoever, they would say things like, you know, people probably won't listen to you. They probably won't believe you um, because we're, for one, we're over here and depending on your rank, you know, either you can say something and it can go all the way up or I can say something and it may not go anywhere. Yeah. So it's kind of like people are still going through that in in any situation they feel like you know they're scared to say something to somebody because it's a lot of other things that is going on in the hindsight you have a person telling you that hey nobody's gonna believe you mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Or it might be that person that doesn't believe you. Or it just might be, um, oh, it was just, you know, a circumstance. Just basically the the situation. Well, why would she put her why would she put herself in yeah. that situation? But that's not for you to question. The first thing you should, I feel like, you know, just being a person and just being a, a human being, the first thing you ask, are you okay? You know, do you need any help? Yeah. You know, like if anybody asked me that then instead of saying no, I don't believe you. I feel like I wouldn't have to go through that rock bottom stage, but I did. I had to go through it because nobody asked me was I okay. Nobody asked me, you know, is everything okay? Is everything all right? Do you need anything? If anything, I was that person. I always said even after that that you know that situation that situation wouldn't make me the person that I am today. And as much as I say um, I do it for my kids or I do it for my kids, it's, to me I feel like that's not genuine. Because if you don't do it for you first, then who who are you really doing it for? Because it can't be just for your kids. Yeah. You know, you can't just put everything behind in the background and just say, okay, well, forget my feelings, forget, you know, my emotions, forget what I've gone through. I'm just going to continue to live life and do what's best for my future and do what's best for my kids' future. You can't do that. Like, you have to know that if something that you're going to do, if you're going to do it, it's going to be for you first. It's not going to be for your mama or your grandma or, you know, your kids or your dog or your cat. It's going to be for you first. Because yeah. I, I always, I will always say this, in order for me to, to help others, I have to help myself. If it comes off as selfish, I mean, it comes off as selfish. But that, to me, they're saying a lot. They're saying, okay, I want to help you. You know, I want to be there for you. But let me let me figure myself my stuff out first. Yeah. And then I'm going to come get you. So believe that. But don't don't just automatically think that everything that a person does, especially when they're going through a lot of things, that their one and first and foremost thing, their first and foremost motivation is their kids. Cause it's not my kids wasn't my first and foremost motivation. Like at first it was when I wasn't ready. Yeah. But when I realized that I was ready, it was me doing it for myself. Cause I still had to be without my kids. I had to take some time off with my kids. I had to kind of separate us so that I could figure out what it was that I wanted for my future and wanted for their future and just figure out what am I going to do just for today. Yeah. And when you're going through that, you're trying to wean yourself off of drugs and um, you're living a different lifestyle, you don't want that same lifestyle, to, the life to just come in. You know, yeah, I love my family. I love my kids. But you didn't. I wouldn't want that to kind of interrupt what I was trying to do for myself. Yeah. So it was times where you know I stayed with my parents. I stayed with my um, my children because they were at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. It was times where I had to separate from that. You know, maybe they had to leave or maybe I would leave, but I had to separate from that so that way I can kind of understand what I wanted to do. Yeah. So me coming back, like when I got my apartment. This is before I went back to work. Um, I kind of had to lay that family foundation down because mm-hmm. I had to have my kids to respect me more. Yeah. I had to have my kids to understand, like, look, this is what I've been through, so I don't, I didn't want to hide it from them. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to get time to tell them what I've been through. I really wanted them to understand that it's going to be a lot of changes, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted them to understand that they can always come and talk to me about anything. Yeah. And not it be, I want it to be genuine, not something fake. Mm-hmm. So anything that my kids are going through, I would want them to tell me. Not saying that I can do anything, that I could just, you know, make stuff happen like this, but I would want my kids to expect that. <laughs> I would, because I want them to come and tell me things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, it was, it was a lot. It was a journey. Me just expressing those words on social media is so much more that I could have said. It's so much, you know, I could have went more in depth. But the little that I did say, I feel like people will get the understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I really will. I don't have to go into details as to, you know, how I felt like this was a tremendous journey for me. Because... To be honest, I got a lot of feedback from that, and it was all positive. Yeah, it was nothing negative. So, 
you're right. Like people, social media, people take social media. They do sometimes take it as negativity, and it can be. It mm-hmm. can really be negative. But with us growing up, we never had the power of technology up until now, until our yeah. grown years. Mm-hmm. We knew how to sit down and have a conversation. You know, even though a lot of people didn't practice it, mm-hmm. we we knew what that consisted of. All we yeah. had to do was just open up our mouth. You know, so. Now, when you're putting stuff on social media, it's giving it a bigger platform because we te- technology has enhanced yeah. and things are happening. And now it's playing out in movies, it's playing mm-hmm. out in books, it's mm-hmm. playing out, you know, in, in real life. Yeah. And now people are able to see it more because of technology. Mm-hmm. So, as much as I want to go around and I want to talk and be that, that motivation for others. You know, we just have to start it one step at a time. So I feel like social media was the way to just get it out there before I started making steps to seeing people physically, just like with this interview. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just kind of excited about my future. Just kind of seeing what it's going to take me in. I'm 28, but I got some years left, so. Yeah. I'm excited, though. I was excited about this interview because this is something that I wanted to be like a, a break for me. I wanted to, I want to be able to just start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this was like a start. And it's funny you said uh, the thing about films. And a lot of, because I like a lot of indie, independent films. Mm-hmm. Because directors have the opportunity to just take time and just focus on the specifics. Because if it's just Hollywood, they have to make it pretty. They don't, right. If they get too personal, then nobody's going to want to watch right. it. So they have to fabricated in a way to this appealing to the audience but a lot of independent films I've been watching um, they've been doing uh, like they recently did a film about everything that happened in California post the Rodney King riots like they they did a, a, a they zoomed in on a family which was uh, I didn't know there was a woman in California taking in kids it was played by Holly Berry I forgot the name of it I think it's Kings or something and but she was taking in kids from families that were affected by that, like some parents went to prison, they were riding, or mm-hmm. some parents, they just lost it, and the kids would go home and nobody's there. So she took those kids in, and it was like maybe 10 of them. And there was a couple of kids there that had been there for a while, and there was one kid there that actually had a gun that wanted to do something about it. There was one kid there that was like the oldest, and he had to tend to the other ones. Mm-hmm. But there was just so much going on, and you're like, wow, I didn't know that was going on in California during this time because I was maybe oh man I think it was eight or seven and I had no I didn't know anything about the riots until years after Mm. because it was on television but the only way you could see it is if you watch television right now (laughs) if it happened like today it'll be on Twitter it'd be everywhere yeah like you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about it and Watching other films pertaining to what we did as kids, I'm like, dang, we used to do that. Yeah. But like you said, because of technology, they're bringing it to light. Mm-hmm. Saying, yeah, there was a moment when we didn't have te- uh, phones with us, so we had to play a video game, or we had to go somewhere, but we had to have conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. And now, like, if it was, if we had technology now that we had back then, it was like four guys, it was me, four other guys that I grew up with in, in high school. We all would have had a phone in our hands, and we wouldn't have had the interactions right. that we had. Uh, but now we're we're forced to do that. Uh, but one thing that I, I did want to ask you this: we got about three minutes left, but I'm a, I really wanted to ask you. I thought this was really cool. So when you are confronted with, or you come in the presence of other women that experience what you experienced, what are you able to share with them? Or have you even come in encounters with, had encounters with people with? That um, that were molested or physically abused in some form or fashion. Um, not really. Mm-hmm. They, I, and if so, they probably haven't specified to me. Yeah. Um, but I do have talks to where you know maybe their children are going through it or they're going through a similarity as to drug abuse or mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't specify, you know, whether or not they're being sexually abused. Yeah. It's still kind of hindsight now. Like, it's still something that people just put in a hole now still. Yeah. I don't think they really expanded it yet. Um, but the the guy, the girls that I have talked to, um, which I was actually incarcerated with one. She was a young girl, high school, mm-hmm. um, 16, I think, 16, 17. Um, 
and I actually talk to her still to this day. Wow. Um, you know, just about my growth. And, you know, if she need anything, just let me know um, because I know how it feels to grow up in a single-parent household, not to have a lot of people to talk to around that time. Mm-hmm. And if you need someone to just talk to, to reflect on, just let me know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are open to me because I, I bring that breath of fresh air. I'm a hugger. I'm yeah. like the ray of sunshine. That's what my mom <laughs> called me, <laughs> like the ray of sunshine. So a lot of people, they do, you know, let me know what's going on. But I may sometimes just see that they're going through something. I just say, you know, hey, you know, I'm praying for you. If you need anything, just let me know. I'm going to call away. Because I never don't, I don't ever want to get up and see a post that someone has heard. And I never did anything about it. And then the next day we got RIP posts. So um, that's, that hit hard too. When you see those RIP posts and you just saw him on mm-hmm. Facebook and he was okay, then you kind of see that he wasn't doing okay and then this. So I pay attention to things like that. If, if, I, if I don't know you, if I see that you know that anything that you're posting on social media, whether if it's your thoughts and I feel like you know it's a hindrance upon your lifestyle and, and it's a hindrance upon people that you love, yeah. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to find you. And I'm going to make sure that I'm that ear that you that you have just for me to listen to. Because that's all we need. When you have people going having suicidal thoughts, suicidal thoughts or anything, you just need that, that ear. That's and you, all. And you said, and that, and that lines up with what you wished uh, people would have asked you back then. Is that, are you okay? Because that's, that's the biggest concern. Are you okay? Are you okay? That's all. Instead of like, what led to this? Or And that's and I think that's a problem that a lot of us, a lot of us have. Is that we are so focused on what happened prior to that like how could that have been prevented like no no focus on now like now. are they okay right and i think that's what most of us need to well it's what we need to hear letting people know that they are concerned about how we feel mm-hmm. and uh we can work to- uh, forward from that um but i have this as my my last question and i enjoy asking this because i just get a variety of answers <laughs> but uh what would you say is the uh, the glory in your story um I would say it's always process over the progress. So my goal is just the just the the process. If I, I know for a fact that I have to work hard to where I want to be. Yeah. So I will always look at. I wouldn't even look at the work. I just want to look at, you know, where I'm going. So I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's the progress over process. Yeah. Because basically you're looking at where you're wanting to be, but you're in the midst, you're doing the work. But if you so much focus on the work that you're doing, and, you know, we do that. Yeah. We focus so much on the work that we're doing it because sometimes it get hard, overbearing. If you focus so much on that, you're not going to ever reach to your progression. Yeah. Like you're not going to get there. So I always, my glory is just, continuing to be here continuing to live just live life don't allow life to live me mm-hmm. and just be that walking testimony that anybody can just come up and say hey you know I'm, it's, it's good to see you you know I'm praying for you it's good to see you if you need anything you know just just me walking around and just being able to see things see people go through different things and just being there that to me kind of pushes me forward to my progression too yeah. So I'm I'm just excited. It's my glory is just living, just life in general. Mm-hmm. Like just life. You have to you got to conquer life. Do not let life overtake you. You got to take take life in your hands <laughs> and grab it and and go on. Keep pushing. Whatever you're going through, it could be the biggest thing in your life at that moment. Just know just keep pushing. You got people that's out here that has that they are going through things that may not be as similar as what you're going through, yeah. but if you know that person, just pick up the phone, call. Yeah. Like, don't let you know you just being stuck there by yourself be the last result. Continue to live life. And I hope that we are. <coughs> excuse me. I hope that as we come across posts similar to yours, that we actually engage, opposed to just let leaving it to the side and. Uh, like, oh, okay, whatever. But it's right. just, it's like, no, like, there's a there's a meaning behind this. Like, people, now you have to be very, pay close attention because there's a message in everything somebody posts. And if you take everything that they posted between now, maybe a month ago, 
like it's leading up to something that probably somewhere you don't want them to go right but if you can just hop in to that conversation and ask that question like how are you that's probably all they need right um but in your case you've come such a long way and you're letting people know this is where i've been this is where i am and i'm i'm living my life you chose life a lot of people don't they think that's the it's the easy way out and it is uh, not it isn't I, I agree and I there was at one point I wanted that for myself um, I actually <laughs> was specific with God I said just take me in my sleep yeah, mm. it, for me that was rock bottom for where I was and something had happened prior to that was rock bottom for me but at even that was at my lowest and mm. I was like I don't want to do this anymore <clears throat> but he had a specific way of reaching me and um, I can tell you that later but it's just would have never expected that it was just something completely out of left field mm-hmm. but he was like I know this is what it's going to take to get your attention because I know you you're my child I know exactly how you work mm-hmm. so once I do this I know you're going to think of something else but it's actually me propelling you to get up and do what I set you out to do because you have a purpose to fulfill follow his path that he has laid out for you yeah so uh, but thank you Raven I really appreciate your time thank you and um, for those of you who are listening, this is episode 45 of The Glory in Our Stories uh, with Raven Harper. Mm-hmm.